0: Hey, good morning. I'd like you to open your Bible to 1 John chapter 5. Uh, We mentioned last time that we've been taking a lot of time in the last couple of weeks to do prophecy updates, to address some of the questions and comments that have come up on our uh, uh, from our those who are watching, our viewers and that. So thankful for all these opportunities to go through these things. I think it's great for us to to take time to answer some of the questions that you all have, because it's likely that lots of people have those questions. And so to speak to them helps us understand uh, more about these ideas and how they affect our faith. Um, and, and sometimes as we just discuss these things, it prods deeper thought about other things in Scripture and that it's just a good thing for us to go through these things and to do our best to understand the various ideas and concepts that we're talking about prophecy briefs of course are one of my favorite things to do and so as we make our way through um, you know the days in which we're living and we consider what scripture had to, has to say about uh, what the last days look like it becomes important for us to integrate our our understanding of end times prophecy in the days that we're living in honestly you know without trying to you know um, superimpose ideas or force ideas together. But simply taking a good look at the, at the grand sweep of what Scripture has to say about the events that are coming and to consider if and how they will fit, they do fit into the days in which we live. And so we talk about things like the Great Reset, or we talk about the Book of Revelation, we talk about things like the Rapture, we talk about Ezekiel 38 and 39 and other passages that have to do with that conflict prior to Daniel's 70th week, another thing we talk about, and those kinds of things. So thanks for watching and thanks for interacting on those things and uh and uh but that said as we mentioned last time there's really nothing like just going through the word of god verse by verse this is nourishment for our souls and this is uh something that um i think is at the heart of growing in our faith and uh, as i've often said this is intended to be a discipleship based ministry where as we go through the word of god we come to better know the god of the word as we seek to walk with him and know him and so john uh as i i think i recall saying last time uh really has this Ability to um, to bring us to a deep and yet lofty place in our understanding of the person of Christ. And so um, we've been making our way through this first letter, and uh, we find ourselves now in the final chapter of it, of 1 John. And so that's where we're going to pick up today. So grab your Bible, and let's go ahead and dive into verse 1. I don't know if we'll finish the whole chapter today necessarily. We'll see how it goes, but we'll at least get get ourselves into it. So here we go. Chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, it's important for us, even though we sort of stop at certain points and then start at certain points, and sometimes it's based around chapter markers and things like that, it's important for us to remember that chapter markers, verse markers, these are things that were added later into the text. It a Bishop Usher, I think, who ultimately put together the, uh, some of the chapter breaks and, and verses, uh, markers, and all those kinds of things. Um, but that was a later addition. Like, for example, when John wrote 1 John, he didn't sort of stop and write, chapter 5 and then begin to, you know, verse 1. No, he just wrote. And so that's why a lot of times when we hit a chapter marker like today and we start reading it, we realize that this sounds a little bit like where chapter 4 left off. And that's because in John's mind, he's continuing a thought. Now, sometimes the chapter markers really do mark the start of a new idea after the previous one had been completed. You'll see like a therefore, you know, in other words, all this came before. Now, how does this apply in some way or something like that? Uh, however, this is one of those examples where an idea just continues to flow through, but rather than have a super long chapter 4, we've divided it. And so, uh, in the previous chapter, as it came to a close, there was a lot said that was very similar to this. Uh, matter of fact, in verse uh, 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Christ is the Son of God and God abides in him. Uh, we talked about how the Holy Spirit testifies to this. Well, here in chapter 5, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Similar concept there, continuing this idea. Uh, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ or is God's anointed, the one that God has sent to accomplish the purpose that he had in mind, that the Father had in mind. And whoever believes that Jesus is that one, that the person of Christ, that Jesus, the the carpenter's son from Nazareth, who ultimately uh, did miracles and signs and wonders and taught these incredibly profound Things and lessons and and such ultimately went to the cross and accomplished God's purpose of paying for the sins of mankind there in that action, as He uh, became sin. with uh, uh, He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If you believe that Jesus is that one, then you have truly been born of God or born again. Um, now, when we read passages like this too, and we we have this sort of. Discussion about uh, the Father or a God and Jesus, and and uh, you know many groups, uh, cults, and the like have have read passages like this, and they cannot understand how the Person of Christ could be, how Jesus is in fact God incarnate, how Almighty God, uh, eternally existent in three persons, one being yet eternally existent within three persons, the second of which, the Eternal Word, who became flesh, ultimately walked among us and took on our sins. All of this, but the idea that he is God, for for many, when they read a passage like this, they they say, "Well, look, it, it's it, they're not the same person." You know, how can they be the same person? Well, this is where Trinitarian theology comes in and helps us understand. Um, it's super. Uh, uh, Trinitarian theology is not superimposed into the text, but rather we come to realize through passages that describe the interaction between Father and Son but also describe the idea of the Son having all the attributes of deity that the Father has, or that the Holy Spirit has all the attributes of deity that the Father and Son have, um, that they are all attributed, uh, um, equal creative act in, in the creation, in, uh, in the redemption, and all these different things. They may play different roles, as we understand from Scripture, but nonetheless, they, uh, each one of the three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who even though distinct persons... Don't give us three gods, because the Bible also very clearly says there is only one God. Isaiah 43, 4, 5, 6, there's all these statements that go on where God says, I know of no other God but me, there's no other God except myself, I know not one, and various statements that make that point. But yet, we have all of these passages that very clearly, uh, actually, some that are explicit, extremely clear, others are very clearly implicit. There's something to be understood about this, um, this unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as being one God, but yet eternally distinct in three distinct persons. Um, these ideas are born of our understanding of Scripture, not a misunderstanding of Scripture. This is a strange idea. It's a hard concept to, to get our minds around because there's no example in nature we can point to and say, this is what the Trinity's like. Uh, you may be thinking right now, well, what about water, you know, solid gas, liquid and stuff? Well, that's the same substance that is just modalized differently given the circumstances around it. Um, that's not the Trinity because the uh, those three versions of water are the same thing, just showing up in different capacities at different times. The Trinity is not that. Uh, the, the Son prays to the Father. Uh, the Holy Spirit uh, descends upon the Son in the form of a dove as the Father speaks from heaven at Jesus' baptism. And so we see this um, this understanding that there is something about their unity, but there's also something about their distinctness within that unity. One God eternally exists in three persons. So we we'll read passages like this. you know, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and where everyone who loves the Father uh, loves those who have been born of Him, and we go on to talk about this, uh, this uh, distinction between Father and Son. Um, there, uh, there again, is a deep, rich theology that I would say, if you misunderstand it, you can't really understand a lot of passages where these distinctions become evident. Um, so it's, uh, and we've talked about this at some length, and so um, I'll invite you to search back through some of our previous videos where we've talked about ideas like this. But for now, I'm going to go ahead and move on and, uh, and move into verse two. Again, uh, by this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God, and obey his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome the idea of his commandments um, there is um there is a very unfortunate uh um uh false dichotomy in our understanding when it comes to the idea of doing what god says and the idea of a legalistic christianity Um, these two things are friends they are not enemies they're not opposed to one another what do i mean by that Well, the Bible says very, very clearly that we are saved by grace through faith and not of works, uh, not of ourselves, lest anyone should boast, right? Uh, We see this in Ephesians chapter 2. However, and and I I guess not however, but I should add to that, that Paul goes to great lengths in a number of places, not the least of which, as we've often said, Galatians chapter 3, where he talks about the purpose of the law as being a a guide to help us ultimately recognize two things first off our inability to keep it and secondly the person of Christ as the answer to the problem of the fact that we can't keep it uh, the one who ultimately did and in his perfection was able to take our sin upon himself and die for the sins of the world and so when we recognize that that is how we are saved and that has always that has always been Uh, how we are saved. It's never been through uh, the works of the law. Uh, Again, Paul, uh, Romans uh, 6, 7, 8, really so much of the book of Romans deals with this issue. Um, The law could never save us and it was never intended to. And so therefore, how has anybody ever been saved? By grace, through faith. And so uh, again, we've spoken to that at great length too. So, but what about the idea of keeping his commands? What does John mean when he says that if we want to demonstrate that we love God, we keep his commands and they're not burdensome? I love that extra phrase, and it's not burdensome. Um, the idea that follow that doing what pleases God and blesses him is something that flows naturally from a heart that's in love with him. Uh, much like a marriage, when you love your spouse, you don't do things with the intention of hurting them you don't cheat on them you don't do things behind their back you don't you know you cultivate that relationship you want to get up in the morning and make her coffee you want to uh, do things that she wants to do you want to hang out and spend time together and that's not burdensome you love it right similarly in our relationship with god if we know that lying murdering adultery all those kinds of things are an offense to god we don't want to do that right why because that offends him. It's an offense against him and his his perfect, uh, his law, his perfect nature, all those things. I don't want to do that. I still fall short and do it. And thankfully, Jesus died for that. But I I don't really want to do that, right? Now, does this mean uh, when he says the commandments that we need to go back under the old covenant system and have all the dietary laws and all that kind of stuff? No. Again, if we understand those things correctly, they served a purpose, However, the righteous, holy standard of who God is and what he requires of man, these things were a model and a picture of this. If we want to really understand what is required, Jesus said when asked about what the greatest commandment was, he said the greatest commandment is this, that you love the Lord your God uh, with all your heart, uh, uh, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two things, all the law and the prophets hang or rest. And so... um, you know, When it comes to obeying his commands, uh, we have to understand that there's a certain you know, um, element of the old covenant system uh, that Paul actually talks about in Colossians, uh, where he speaks about how these things were a shadow of things to come, but the reality is Christ. Therefore, let no one judge you in regard to new moons and festivals and Sabbaths and those kinds of things. Again, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the reality of which is in Christ. And so we recognize the law has a place. However, that which the law drives us toward—justice, mercy, love, um, grace—those kinds of things. Um, We understand that the heart of the law was to promote these kinds of things. In fact, even in Jesus' own ministry, he often called out the Pharisees for being strict observers of the law but missing the whole spirit of the law— and so we when we read passages like this, we want to do our best to read what the scriptures on the whole say about these things and this is where we tend to err when we don't do that when we take a passage or a small uh, one passage in isolation or a small group of passages devoid of the other side of what the scriptures have to say about something, when we major on one particular perspective that the scripture introduces but neglect the other we do a disservice to the overall understanding of how these things are intended to be seen together. And so when we come again to a passage like this, John is not suggesting that we'd be back under the old covenant. As a matter of fact, uh, John was there during the uh, uh, the uh, conference in Acts 15, where the whole question of, you know, do Gentiles need to come through Moses or through the law in order to come to Christ? Well, the answer was no. And so John is not now putting a burden upon people uh, that, uh, that he was Part of taking that burden away from, and so, um, so anyway, the idea of following his commands, and they're not burdensome. They are a joy. They are a blessing to do that which blesses God. This is an evidence uh, that uh, that that we love God. And verse four: For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world: our faith. Right? Who and what is our faith rooted in? This truth: that who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus. Is the Son of God, and so as we um, uh, as we look for an evidence of the fact that we've been born of God, it all comes down to the idea of our belief, our faith in the core truth of the Christian faith of the gospel, the idea that again Jesus is the Son of God, and what he did demonstrated that. The things he taught, the miracles he did, the ultimate going to the crosses, our sinless sacrifice in our place—these um, are the things that ultimately become the evidence of who we are in Christ, and that by believing these things, we have overcome the world. What does it mean to overcome the world? Well, uh, it, it doesn't mean that we sort of overthrow the rule of the world per se, but that the world no longer has sway over us. Remember that Jesus himself taught. Uh, Paul taught John taught uh the idea that um that there is uh there is a spirit of Antichrist there is a god of this age there's a prince of the power of the air uh there is there are messengers of light that are actually um, uh, uh, worker yeah, they are actually uh, ministers of, of darkness in that in satan um and these things ultimately uh and and the spirit of Antichrist and ultimately the person of Satan behind all of this seeks to undermine and destroy, to to steal, kill, and destroy, but to undermine um, uh, the lives of all of those whom God loves. Now, as believers, what John is saying is is that we are no longer subject to that. We're no longer under the sway of the wicked one uh, like we once were. But in fact, we have victory in Christ. He who is in us now is greater than he who is in the world, and so therefore we have victory. Uh, Do we stumble? Do we uh, fail sometimes? Absolutely. But the, the good news in the, with the gospel in connection with the gospel is that we are not fighting for victory, we're actually fighting from victory. In other words, we are already standing in Christ, redeemed, bought, and paid for, uh, as we said, la- I think it was last time we talked about how we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. We know that we're ultimately going to be brought uh, home as, as, as Christ's purchased possession. And so therefore, we're not striving to get there. Since we know we're going to be there, we now can live differently now. The same spirit that seals us, empowers us with our testimony and capacity to walk uh, in ways that, uh, that reflect what God has done in us and, and his glory and all. And so we have overcome the world because of the gospel that we stand on. And so therefore, we're no longer prisoners to these things. A lot is said by John in this first letter about the distinctions between those who are in the world and those who are not of the world. Jesus himself uh, in his prayer in John 17 said, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, and even as I am not of the world, we are now fundamentally of a different place. We have a different citizenship. We belong uh, to a different homeland now. And so, therefore, we are not really of this world anymore as believers in Christ. We work here, we serve here, we. Uh, glorify the Lord here. We do our good works before men, so they might see the uh, good works we do and glorify our Father in heaven. Uh, In this world, we will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. He has overcome the world, right? And so um, there's always this sense of distinction between being part of the world and not being part of the world. And you and I, as believers, are not part of this world. We have, in fact, uh, overcome it because of the gospel and the power that it has to transform us and transfer us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son, um, and I'm going to stop there actually for today, and uh, we'll pick it up in verse six the next time we're in 1 John. Thanks for watching, and uh, my hope again is that uh, that that taking time to go through these books in the in the Bible, to take time to go through the passages and. And give them room to to sort of be expanded on so we can understand the concepts and ideas is all part of my desire and uh, really our church's mission statement to uh for to equip people for a lifetime of knowing, loving, and following Jesus. It's all about growing as disciples of his, and so my hope is that our times here in the word together uh, that as his word goes forth uh, and does not return void, that what it instead does is find fertile ground in all of our hearts. Uh, so that we might grow thereby. So praise the Lord. Thanks for watching. We'll catch up with you next time. Father, we're thankful again for the time that we have spending with you, learning your word, uh, allowing it like a a seed on soil to to germinate within us and to bring forth great, great fruit. Uh, Ultimately, fruit that helps us, um, that brings us to a place of understanding and knowing you better, of walking all the more closely with you, of seeking to live lives that uh, demonstrate your grace at work within us and ultimately bring you glory. Thank you for all that Jesus accomplished at the cross, Father. So much of it is uh, stuff that we can understand and celebrate, but there is such depth to uh, both his person and what he accomplished that it keeps us coming back to explore all the more deeply uh, all of these things. And so thank you. And we pray that as we continue in your word, you would, by your Holy Spirit, illuminate these truths and help them uh, to be understood and help them to have impact in each one of our lives. Thank you, Father. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching. We'll catch you again next time.